to some degree, our metabolisms hum along at a preset speed determined by gender and genetics. But there is still plenty of wiggle room. You have a huge amount of control over your metabolic rate. Welcome to Rev Your Metabolism with Alicia Murphy. I'm Alicia, your host, creator of Stress Monkey Fitness, The Rev Method, and your go-to health coach for being super fit and unstoppable after 40. With 15 years of rocking the fitness and nutrition industry, plus overseeing the wellness program for a major shoe company, I'm here to share my knowledge with you. Are you ready to join me on an exciting journey to restore your metabolism, boost your health, and turn back the aging clock? On this podcast, we'll unlock the secrets to boundless energy, burning more fat naturally, and feeling confident in your own skin. Get ready to soak up simple yet powerful strategies that will transform your health and fitness game. These tips will be a game changer, so hang on to your hats and glasses. And do not forget to hit that follow button so you won't miss any of our amazing tips and tricks. All right, let's rev it up. Hey there, Rever. I'm so glad you're here. I love this topic, and I cannot wait to dig in and share this information with you. So, okay, are you ready to take your metabolism to a whole new level? Listen, an optimized metabolism is your secret weapon to not only reach a healthy weight, but also to skyrocket your overall well-being, your energy levels. So today, I'm going to dive deep into the type of metabolism you should be aiming for. I'll be sharing valuable insights on how to identify signs of a sluggish metabolism. And then I'm also going to give you some practical ways to optimize your metabolic health. Trust me, this episode, you're going to dig it. So you know what to do, put on those walking shoes, get outdoors if the weather permits, and let's walk and talk about this totally amazing topic. Okay, so first of all, and listen, I've talked about this on, I think, a couple of episodes now. So for my OG revers, You should know the answer to this, but I just want to make sure maybe you're a first-time listener to this podcast. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. So let's make sure we all understand what do we actually mean when we're saying the metabolism. So the metabolism is the sum total of all the cellular activity that goes on in your body. Everything that your body does That's your metabolism. So burning calories is just one component because I think when we talk about the metabolism, a lot of people, the first place their mind goes to is whether or not 
you know, you're losing weight or gaining weight. It's a much bigger thing than that, okay? And then here is a quote I wanted to share with you from John Berardi, who is the co-founder of Precision Nutrition. Um, that's, they are an amazing, amazing organization. That's where I have my sports nutrition certification from. And he says this, us being alive is really a series of communications between our different cells. Metabolism is all that activity going on at any point in time. So it's, a, it's kind of a big deal, <laughs> right? Now, this is what I want to make sure you understand too, because we're going to go back to this in just a moment. So what makes up the majority of the metabolism? And what I mean by this is what determines how many calories our body is going to use as energy every single day? So if I was to, to take you and I say, okay, this is how many calories that you burned in a, you know, on Wednesday, what determined that number? So that's what we're going to go over. So in the fitness industry, we call this the total daily energy expenditure and energy meaning calories, how many calories you're burning in a day. So this is the total amount of energy you burn in a day. It's the sum total of the energy our metabolism uses, all right? So it's going to be made up of three main things. And one of these main things is kind of a two-parter. So sometimes I'll say four things, but let's just say three main things for today. Number one, your resting metabolic rate. This is made up of the functions of everything keeping us alive. So things like your heart rate, your breath, right? So it's things that you, you don't have any control over. Well, I guess you do have control over your heart rate, but it's things that your body does on its own to keep you alive, basically. All right, that's your resting metabolic rate. Then we're going to move on to the next thing that accounts for how many calories we burn in a day, and this is activity levels. So movement, and this is broken down into two different kinds of movement. We have EAT and NEAT, and they're both acronyms, and I've talked about these before, all right? So EAT stands for exercise activity thermogenesis, and NEAT stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So we have these two different categories of activity levels that account for how many calories we burn in a day. EAT, the exercise one, means anything you're intentionally doing is exercise. Going to the gym, going for a run, doing a spin class, playing a sport, so intentional exercise. And then non-exercise activity is all movement outside of that. So walking to your car, um, folding the laundry, gardening, taking out the trash, you get it. That's the two different types of activity levels we're looking at. And then, and yep, that's right. 
What is it time for? You got it, a fact or fiction. The last part of our total daily energy expenditure is called the thermic effect of feeding. And here's the fact or fiction part. Fact or fiction, the thermic effect of feeding is the energy or calories your body uses to digest and process food. Yeah, that's a fact. That is right. Okay, so yeah, the thermic effect of feeding simply means when we eat food, our body has to use calories in order to process that food, in order to digest that food, send nutrients out to where they need to go, right? So the metabolism is going to use calories in order to make those things happen. And by the way, protein has the highest thermic effect of food. So for every 100, let's say 100 calories of protein you eat, your body is going to need about 15 to 20 of those calories just to process that food. Pretty cool, right? Okay, so I hope you understand those are the ways that what contributes to how many calories we burn in a day, but here is the good news. To some degree, the metabolism, it's going to hum along at a preset determined speed, which is determined by gender and genetics, but guess what, Rever? This is the good news. There's still plenty of wiggle room. You have a huge amount of control over your metabolic rate. All right, let me explain how. So if you're physically inactive, right, and, you know, you, you have a, maybe you sit at a desk all day, you don't really have a lot of time to get out and exercise or, you know, you're pretty physically inactive. This is how this breakdown is going to come for you. Percentages of those things I just went over that explain how many calories you burn in a day. So 75 to 80% of the calories you burn in a day are going to come from your metabolic rate. And that's not a good thing. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> and 10 to 15% of the calories you burn are going to come from activity. And then 5 to 10% are going to come from the thermic effect of feeding. Now, if you're active, and when I say active, I'm not talking about, you know, becoming a CrossFitter or running marathons. I'm talking about just moving your body. Go on walks. Try, try to find ways to get more steps. Just increase your steps every day. Now, if you're active, listen to this change. S only 60% of your daily calories are going to come from your resting metabolic rate. And that's a really big deal because that means your metabolism is going to be able to tap into more calories. Why? Because 
30% of the calories you burn are going to come from activity. And here's the interesting thing. When you break down that 30%, only 10% is coming from exercise. 20% is coming from non-exercise movement. And this is why I'm telling you, if you're starting from, you know, square one, or if you've kind of like, I haven't been doing anything in a while and I need to get started again, just focus on getting more steps per day. Because that overall movement is what's going to help your body burn more calories. And then 10%, if you're active, is going to come from the thermic effect of feeding. Long story short, be active. Because then you can actually impact the rate of your metabolism and how many calories your, your metabolism is burning every day. So don't say, oh, I have bad genetics. Right? You might have bad genetics, but you still have control over helping your metabolism to burn more calories every day just by simply getting in more daily movement. All right, so if you're saying, okay, I want to get lean, I want a fast metabolism, right? Mm, hold up a second. Rather than a fast metabolism, what you really want is a flexible metabolism. And we're going to, I've mentioned this before, but we're really going to dig in on this flexible metabolism today because it's, it's, it's huge, Rever. It's huge. So it's time for something. That's right, a fact or fiction. Fact or fiction. A flexible metabolism will not only help you burn more fat as fuel, but it will also dramatically increase your health. Yeah, that's fact. That's a pretty obvious one, huh? I gotta, I gotta get a little more, a little more tricky. So let me say that again. A flexible metabolism not only is gonna help your body to burn more fat as fuel, but it's also going to dramatically boost your health. When you're metabolically flexible, and I'm gonna I'm gonna explain more about what that means, but when you're metabolically flexible, you almost never get cravings or feel hangry. Yeah, you might, I mean, of course there's gonna be times where you feel hungry, but not hangry. It's not going to be to that extreme. And this is why. Metabolically flexible people tend to maintain a healthy weight without trying too hard because your body doesn't have to keep your food-seeking mechanisms constantly on. When you're metabolically flexible, you don't store extra fat to prepare for a constant need for energy. Your body will tap into the fat that's already there rather than trying to store fat. That sounds great, right? And I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. When you're metabolically flexible, your body will understand how to tap into stored fat to use as fuel. Remember, we just talked about, okay, my body's going to burn this many calories, right? Your body, when it needs to get, tap into some fuel, meaning calories, it, when you're flexible metabolism, that means your body knows how to tap into stored fat. 
And when you don't have a flexible metabolism, your body's going to send you hunger cues and cravings because it wants you to eat because it wants to prepare for a need of calories by storing fat. And and don't worry if you're still kind of like, I'm not quite wrapping my head around this, Alicia. All right, don't worry, because I'm going to explain a little bit more. So let's dig in on metabolic flexibility. So what is a flexible metabolism? A, A metabolic flexibility means your body can run off of carbohydrates or fat. Those are our two main energy sources. And when, you're, when your metabolism is flexible, it knows how to run off carbs and it knows how to run off fat. Different kinds of cellular machinery and processes are used if your body is burning fats versus carbohydrates and vice versa. So your body's ability to switch from using carbohydrates as fuel to using fat as fuel, and then back to carbohydrates as fuel, or any combination of this switching is a reflection of your body's metabolic flexibility. It's making sense? Metabolic in flexibility or a poor ability to switch from one fuel source to another is predictive of weight gain and weight regain. Like many things metabolically related, there is a genetic component to one's metabolic flexibility, right? That's true. But, oh yeah, this is a great time for a fact or fiction. Okay, here we go. Fact or fiction. About 70% of your metabolic flexibility can be predicted by your genetics. Is that fact or fiction? That is fiction. Check this out. About only 30 2% of your metabolic flexibility can be predicted by your genetics. <laughs> this leaves you two-thirds of your metabolic flexibility to be determined by your diet and your lifestyle. I mean, that's flipping rad, right? So even if you are cursed with a shit-ass metabolism from your family tree, you, you have two-thirds of your metabolic flexibility can be impacted by your diet and your lifestyle. I mean, I hope that you have stopped your walk right now and you're doing a little happy dance because that's so, I mean, I don't know. Am I getting overly excited about this? I don't, I don't think so. So in a few minutes, we're going to talk about some things that you can do to increase your metabolic flexibility. Excited? All right, so people with flexible metabolisms can flex between carbohydrate metabolism and fat oxidation relatively easy. What does fat oxidation mean? It means burning fat. 
So let's say that again, people with a flexible metabolism can flex between carbohydrate metabolism and fat burning relatively easily. For example, um, a person with great flexibility maybe does cardio in the morning on an empty stomach. And because their metabolism is highly flexible, their body powers through the workout burning fat that already exists in their body, right? So when your metabolism is flexible, it is really good at even though you're not taking in food, you're not taking in calories, your metabolism is flexible. So it's like, oh, that's cool. We got stored fat. I can just use that to run on. And that, my friend, is how you train your body to burn more fat. So remember what we've talked about so many times before. That's all fat is, is stored energy. And it's actually amazing because think about hundreds of years ago where maybe we didn't have any food for days. And now our body could survive off of the stored fat. That's what is supposed to happen. Okay, so let me stop here for a quick second and... Let's have two quick little aha moments. So again, think about it, right? Our hunter and gatherer ancestors, let's say, they didn't snack all day. They, they didn't have little sneaky snacks in their desk drawer. They didn't pop into Starbucks for an afternoon coffee in a, a protein box or whatever. I don't know. They would feast and then go for hours, if not days, without any food. They had flexible metabolisms, which would allow their body to thrive and survive off of fat stores. All right? That's the number one aha moment I hope you're having. And then number two, I just said this, but that's what our body fat is there for. We're supposed to tap into stored fat as fuel on a regular basis. There shouldn't be this, you know, you ate breakfast and then maybe an hour or two later you're having a craving for something. And then you eat lunch and then an hour or two later, you know, you're starting to feel kind of shaky and you're like, oh, I, I, need, some, I need some sugar. Or you go too long without eating and you feel like you literally might punch the next person in the face that even looks your way. It shouldn't be this extreme roller coaster. When your metabolism is flexible, that doesn't happen. So the key to understanding this lies in the role of insulin. That's right, our good old buddy insulin. So the key to understanding metabolic flexibility is to understand how insulin regulates our energy. And I just have to stop here for a second and remind you, this is why I love talking about this and sharing this with people because remember, I have type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. It's not the kind of diabetes that people get when, you know, there's a stigmatism around it where it's people get it when they aren't exercising, they aren't eating right. 
Um, they're really stressed out. That is not the kind of diabetes that I have. Type 1 is an autoimmune disease where my pancreas stopped making insulin. So let me tell you, oh, my little lollipop that I fully, fully understand the depths of what I'm talking about because I live this. And I'm so happy that you're here because all I want to do is teach people this important, important, important information. So insulin, it's, it's literally, I have to inject it every day to keep me, to keep me alive. So this is the, how it links to metabolic flexibility. A healthy person with normal insulin action can effectively switch between fats and carbs as fuel, right? They have a metabolic flexibility going on. But an insulin-resistant person cannot do this as effectively. And remember, if you've been told that you have blood sugar issues, you are absolutely, without a doubt, insulin-resistant. Insulin resistance happens first. Blood sugar issues are a result of insulin resistance. So if you are that person and you're like, oh, my doctor told me I need to watch, you know, my blood sugar, please listen to this part coming up, okay? Insulin is the hormone that regulates your blood sugar, right? By taking glucose, meaning sugar, from your bloodstream, And then it's going to take it to the cells to either be used as energy or stored. It might be stored as something called glycogen, or it could be stored as something called fat. So there are two primary states of being as it relates to a person's metabolism. Fed and fasting. During fed conditions meaning you have eaten recently, your insulin levels are going to be higher due to the food you ate. And how high your insulin levels depends on what you ate. Now, during fasting conditions, someone who is very metabolically flexible will easily be able to tap into stored body fat. So, The food you eat sparks the release of insulin. Insulin is a factor in deciding which fuel source your body's going to use. When insulin levels are low, your body primarily burns fat. When insulin levels are high, your body primarily burns carbs and stores fat. So the two main things that disrupt metabolic flexibility. Your body is wired for metabolic flexibility, but unfortunately, some modern practices mess with your ability to switch between burning fat and burning carbs. Number one, the acronym is SAD, the Standard American Diet. All right, the standard American diet emphasizes eating carbs and eating frequently. And when I say eating carbs, you know, I'm not talking about lentils and sweet potatoes. I'm talking about 
cookies, cakes, bread, bagels, cereal. You get the idea. So the standard American diet emphasizes eating these overly processed carbs and eating frequently. At minimum, most people are eating three meals a day, plus they're snacking to carry them from meal to meal in between their meals. Eating this way literally trains your body to look for carbs for energy. When carbs go missing, your body clamors for them. There's a word I don't use very often, clamors. Your body wants them badly. You end up with weakness, cravings, and distractions until you can refuel your body for the carbs that it wants, right? So that's, that's the number one main thing that's disrupting metabolic flexibility. Number two is insulin resistance. And we already touched base on this, but insulin resistance is what happens when you eat carbs, but your cells do not open to receive that resulting fuel. A high-carb diet can lead to insulin resistance because these frequent surges of insulin start to have a desensitizing effect, meaning you're eating all these refined carbs, and they don't have a lot of fiber, and so your insulin levels go high. Over time, this starts to desensitize your cells. So when the insulin comes to bring that sugar from all these carbs, your cells literally require more and more and more insulin until eventually they just start rejecting the insulin altogether. All right, so that's insulin resistance. So how do you know if you're metabolically inflexible? All right, here we go. If you can't go for long periods of time without eating, and again, I'll go for a long period of time without eating, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm a little bit hungry. But it's never this, like, you know, hysteria to get to food, or I might strangle somebody. That's the difference, all right? So if you can't go for long periods without eating, if you feel like you need to take a big snooze after you eat a meal, if you feel lethargic more often than not, if you have a hard time losing weight, even though you're dieting and you're doing all the things, you may be experiencing metabolic inflexibility. All right, now let's talk about another way to know. Your HDL to triglycerides ratio. And I talk about this all the time. This is a great little trick to know if you're possibly insulin resistant. So you're gonna look at your recent blood work, your most recent blood work. And if you haven't had recent blood work within the last year, please go do it. It's very, very important. So you wanna check the triglycerides to HDL ratio. And HDL, high density lipoprotein, that's your good cholesterol. Okay, so let me explain what you're gonna do. And hopefully I'll make this, sometimes I say it and it sounds confusing. I think I'm getting better in explaining it. So you're gonna look at your standard lipid panel. So when you get your blood work, it's gonna say, you know, lipid panel at the top. 
This is going to measure your HDL, which is your quote-unquote good cholesterol, your LDL, the bad cholesterol, and then your triglycerides. So some doctors are going to zero in on that LDL number. But it's really important of looking to also look at the good cholesterol in your body. So here we go. Take your triglyceride number. If it's more than twice your HDL, it's an indicator that your body fat is not accepting shipments of new fat quickly enough. So the triglycerides are staying in your bloodstream for too long. This is a sign of insulin resistance. So let me say that a different way. And ideally what you want is a ratio of one to one. Fantastic if your HDL is even higher than your triglycerides. So let me, let me put real numbers to this so I make sure that you understand what I'm saying. So you look at your, your blood work and your triglycerides are at 100. You do not want your HDL to be any lower than 50. So if your HDL, let's say, is 50, and your triglycerides are 130, yeah, you probably got some insulin resistance going on. Ideally, what you want is one-to-one. -one. So you want your triglycerides and your HDL to be the same number. And what's even better is your triglycerides, say, are 70 and your HDL is higher, 80 or 90. So go do this. Toot sweet. Go do it. It's going to be a great indicator for you to be like, hmm, maybe I'm insulin resistant. Okay? So how to increase metabolic flexibility? Here we go. Number one, exercise with variety. This is a really good one. The more active you are, the more energy you're going to need. Remember we talked about that total daily energy expenditure? So the more active you are, the more energy your body's going to need, and the more your body will require the breakdown of fuel sources. So ramp up that movement, but you also want to change it up. Your body will have to almost... Like it's resetting itself. And that's a good thing. That, that means you're making your metabolism work harder. So it needs more calories. Each time you go faster, you lift heavier, or just doing something that your body isn't used to. So aim for switching it up in your workouts. And every now and then throw in an activity that your body is not used to doing. Maybe hiking. Maybe playing pickleball. Pickleball is just all the rage, isn't it? Also, Dr. Mike Roussel, he's a well-known nutrition expert, recommends, this is, I think this is a great little, little bonus tip, exercise under a variety of conditions. So exercise after a meal exercise fasted. And I do not recommend doing strength training fasted, but I do think it's great to do cardio fasted, especially a walk. 
You want to force your body to adapt and perform in a variety of situations. Again, not only are you helping your metabolism to be more flexible by doing this, but you're also requiring your metabolism to work harder, meaning it needs more calories to perform functions. All right, number two is eat a carb-restricted diet. Listen, I'm not, I'm not anti-carb, but I do believe that you need to restrict your carbs when you're dealing things, dealing, sorry, when you're dealing with things like insulin resistance or metabolic inflexibility. All right, so you got to clean up that metabolism first. Metabolic inflexibility is strongly linked to a decreased ability to burn fat. So restricting the total amount of carbs in your diet forces your body to rely more heavily on fat as a fuel source. Thus, it's going to increase that fat burn, strengthening those pathways in your body. Basically, you'll train your body to burn more fat. So I'm not talking about carbohydrate removal. I'm just talking about reduction. And I'm specifically talking about reduction of the crappy shit carbs, right? So start with taking out refined grains, um, sugar, calorie-containing beverages, Grab the low-hanging fruit that you can get rid of that you know is not nutritious carbohydrates. And then you could also, I highly recommend, just allocate one meal per day to contain starches or grains and make sure those starches or grains are high-fiber starches or grains. Okay, number three, an antioxidant boost. Altered metabolism has been closely linked to oxidative stress and inflammation. And the use of antioxidants in your food has been shown to have a positive influence on this. So I'm not going to go too deep down what is oxidative stress. But basically, antioxidants help to offset oxidative stress. All right, so you can increase your intake of antioxidants by eating dark leafy greens, berries, and other fruits and vegetables that come in a variety of colors. We've all heard about antioxidants by now, right? So fruits and vegetables, man. You can also add in spices or supplements um, containing things like green tea extract, um, curcumin, two of the many different antioxidants that are powerful in aiding metabolism. Cinnamon, too. I add cinnamon to flipping everything. And again, let's, let's talk. This is a quote, a direct quote from Dr. Mike Roussel. IL-6 is a compound released from your fat cells that can impair your body's ability to burn fat, particularly after a meal when metabolic flexibility is the most difficult. So turmeric, turmeric, however you want to say it, is a well-studied, safe, and anti-inflammatory compound that has been shown in a variety of cellular studies to reduce IL-6. So there you go. All right, number four is time-restricted feeding. 
I did a whole episode on intermittent fasting, so if you want to go back, check that out. I think it's episode 17. Um, I don't like to say intermittent fasting. I like to say time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating. And let me give you very specifics on how you can do this to help make your metabolism more flexible. Early. So we're talking about something also known as circadian fasting. That means you're kind of timing your eating according to the daylight, right? So leaving at least 12 hours in between the last calories at night and the first calories in the morning, that's step one. And then the last caloric intake, you're going to stop taking in calories earlier in the evening. So say by like six or seven, ideally about two to three hours before you go to bed, before you go to sleep. The concept behind early timed restricted feeding or uh, circadian fasting is that it causes your body to move to fat stores for energy. And then it also positively affects the circadian rhythm of your body. And circadian rhythm, it's going to help you sleep better, and it also really dictates your metabolic activity. So the circadian rhythm of the body is normally influenced by light and dark cycles, okay? And it's also controlled by feeding and fasting cycles, meaning that the circadian clock controls the body's metabolism to be active or inactive. So when you do this, this idea of circadian fasting, the active cycle of the metabolism increases after the long period of fasting so that you're going to break down more fat for fuel. And then here's another, another quote by John Berardi from Precision Nutrition. If given a choice, the body would prefer to burn what's stored on it before it burns what's coming in from a dietary perspective. It's why fasting ends up working fairly well. So when you're continuously feeding the body, you're going to become metabolically inflexible. Unless, you know, there are... It's never black and white. It's not one size fits all. If you're, you know, seriously active, um, like an endurance athlete, like this is not going to apply to you. We're just talking about the general population. And then I know one more quote by John Berardi, just one more. One of the best ways to teach metabolic flexibility to the body is to systematically, over time, do extended fasts. So 12 hours on, 12 hours off when it comes to calories, great place to start and shift your eating window kind of earlier in the day. So maybe you're eating, you know, from like 8 to 6, 9 to 7, something around there. I mean, I know that's less than 12 hours, but um, you, you get what I'm saying. Also, frequently change up the duration of of that time-restricted feeding window. So maybe some days you're eating for 12 hours. Maybe some days you're only eating for 10 hours. Okay. I feel like, is this episode going long? Oh my gosh. Let's, let's get to, let's wrap this up. I'm almost done. I quickly just want to talk about before you go, how stress affects your metabolism. This is really important. 
When we're under emotional stress or physiological stress, like too much exercise or too little food, both cortisol and the sympathetic nervous system activity, which is the fight or flight nervous system, is increased. This can lead to weight gain, particularly around the organs, which is bad, that's visceral fat, insulin resistance, and increased blood pressure, right? So just want to throw that little tidbit in there. Please take stress management seriously. Everybody knows they need to do it, but I so few people do it on a regular basis. And stop thinking that you can actually avoid stress because that's pretty delusional. Rather than trying to avoid stress, because most of it we really can't control, try to take Zen monkey time, right? Take breaks from the stress. It could be as simple as setting a timer on your phone for one minute, closing your eyes, and slowing down your breath. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. All right, the last thing I'm going to say, here's the actionable, the takeaway from this episode. And you got a nice long walk-in today, Rever. All right, here we go. How to increase your metabolic flexibility. Number one, exercise. Mix things up. Mix up the type of exercise and the conditions that you exercise. For example, after a meal, after a snack, after being fasted. Number two, cut down on the carbs. I'm talking especially the refined crap carbs. Number three, boost your metabolism with antioxidants. And number four, circadian fasting. And again, switch up the length of that window of eating. Okay, beautiful Reva. Listen, if you ever have questions or anything you want to hear, please, please send me an email. You can find my email down in the show notes. And you know what? I seriously, I would love you so much if you could just go leave me a rating or a review, share this episode, because we need more revers in our cool kid club. All right. I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. And I'll see ya next week. Bye for now, Rever. Oh,